1: The story. And I remember as a nine year old kid, they pulled up at this place. It was a boys' prison. And they had all these barbed wires everywhere. And I remember when I opened the door, my, my heart was going 100 miles an hour. And they marched me down to prison cells. They stripped me naked. And I remember as a nine year old kid, I jumped on the bed, grabbed hold of my pillow, and I rocked side to side, saying to myself, as they let me out know, now, I won't run away again.
0: G'day, I'm Jimmy Colfax. Welcome to The Story. Today we have one about a remarkable transformation. A one-time hardened criminal goes on to win Western Australia's Local Hero of the Year Award. He's been also featured on Australian Story and in a video called I Was a Criminal. His name is Peter Lyndon James and he'll share how God's love eventually broke through and completely changed the direction of his life. Peter's having a chat and sharing his story with Shelley Scowen.
2: Peter, you uh, had a very troubled childhood and things just went from bad to worse, really, didn't they?
1: Yeah, you could say that, yeah.
2: Tell us about what it was like for you as a kid.
1: Um, well, I grew up uh, second eldest of five children and sort of a, from a broken home. Uh, mum sort of, uh, dad, my, my dad ran up uh, with another woman and my mum was sort of a, had a drinking problem. And, um, yeah, so I sort of moved around a fair bit.
2: Yeah, so from institution to institution?
1: Yeah, all what happened was is the, my parents, when they stood up as a young child, my mum turned to alcohol, and uh, through her alcohol use, she happened to keep going into rehabilitation centres, and because we we're five kids, uh, brothers and sisters went to different family members, and I tried to stay with my mum, so I got put in um, foster families close to where uh, the uh, rehabilitation centre where my mum was at. But the problem is I didn't want the uh, foster families, I wanted my mum and my dad, so what I used to do is Uh, run away and uh, every time they catch me they take me back and sooner or later they got sick of me running away and they end up uh, putting me in a locked locked institution.
2: Yeah which is difficult I mean you can understand any kid wanting that you just wanted a normal life didn't you that was what you craved.
1: Yeah that's correct yeah.
2: Just yeah normal mum and dad in a house doing sports with dad on a Saturday morning you know going on family holidays and you never really got to experience any of that.
1: No, as a child, like I said, that all I wanted was my mum and my dad. Every time my mum got put in a, in a rehabilitation so I kept running away. sooner or they got sick of me running away. Yeah. And I hadn't seen my dad for a few years. I remember once sitting in, I was a nine-year-old uh, uh, boy in a, in a home called Parkville Children's Home, and they got sick of me running away. I slept like three months in a good cement mountain bin in, um, in a suburb not far from there. They caught me. And I remember sitting in this office, and I had a, a social worker and my dad, who I hadn't seen for a year and a half, and they gave me a choice. As a nine-year-old kid, they say, you either go stay with your dad um, or you go into Longmore. And I didn't know Longmore was a boy's prison. I thought it was just another children's home. But I remember as a nine-year-old kid sitting there and the anger I had towards my dad because he chose another woman over me and I just felt really angry and hurt. And I heard this voice inside me saying, go with your dad. But I heard another voice saying, no, he doesn't love you anymore. So So which uh, did you choose? I chose to go to the children's home. And I remember as a nine-year-old kid, they pulled up at this place. It was a boys' prison. And I got out of the car and I walked up to the gate and they had all these barbed wires everywhere. And, and I heard the prison officer with his che- keys walking down the corridor, or down the driveway with a, a jingle. And I remember when I opened the door, my, my heart was going 100 miles an hour. And I looked back, my dad was walking back to the car. And was a nine-year-old kid, they took me into the office, done all these um, paperwork on me, then they took me down to a blusher block. They stripped me naked. And they put cream and, and other stuff on me. And they marched me down to prison cells, they gave me six comic books and they pushed me in this prison cell, they locked the door. And I remember as a nine-year-old kid, I jumped on the bed, I got a hold of my pillow, and I rocked side to side, balling my eyes out and say, saying to myself, as they let me out now, I won't run away again.
2: Wow. Yeah, I mean, what a horrible decision for a kid to make, but then obviously you um, regretted that decision?
1: Yeah, well, as a nine-year-old kid, I mean, everyone of us face the circumstances that we do and don't create. At the end of the day, we've got to make a choice, and I made a wrong choice.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, but when I got put in the institution as a nine-year-old, I remember I spent three months in that place, and I got put in a prison, not in an in institution. But I got put in a prison for running away from children's homes. Uh-huh. And all I wanted was my mum and my dad. I've never been on a family holiday. I went to 16 different schools. only made grade six. So I've never done anything normal. I would give anything to be able to run up in the hallway. i in the yeah. morning, to jumped jump into bed with mum and dad, but I never had any of that. And I spent three months in that prison, and all of a sudden all these other people was in this prison who steal cars and break into houses and do a whole heap of other stuff, they started accepting me for who I was. My family rejected me, but these people accepted me.
2: Yeah.
1: And they should not only become my family, so I spent three months in there. And when I was released from Longmore, I um, went to another uh, children's home called Wilminder. And I'd done what I always did, and I ran away. And I lived on the streets. And... Um, I started committing crimes with a lot of the people that I actually met within the prison, started using drugs to them in my arms. Um, I became what they call institutionalised. What I mean by that is that uh, when I got caught for the crimes, they put me back in the lawnmower for six months. Then I got out, I'd be out for a week, and then I'd be back in for 11 months. So I spent seven years basically locked up from the age of nine to 16 in a place called right. Um I became, like I said, what they call institutionalised. and I spent two years or 18 months in the next prison up from that, which caters for um, children between the ages of 16 and 18.
2: So life for you was very, very difficult in those early years, far from ideal. Um, and, yeah, institutions, living with people that you didn't want to be living with, and then uh, ended up hanging out with all the wrong kinds of people as well. There was a moment when you were sixteen, and a Christian group came into the prison that you were in, and um, they played you the Cross and the Switchblade, and that was when life started to turn around a little bit for you. Tell us about the day that they played the movie The Cross and the Switchblade.
1: There was actually a, a bit of a lead up to that. That I was in. Uh, every time I got locked up in institutions, I'd always attend the Christian groups. Okay. I was in the prison. I never uh, had a, a faith i um, upbring, never been to a church, never had any exposure to religion or relationship with God. Um, but every time I was in the, the uh, institutions, I'd always attend the Christian groups because it was the only place in the prison that I, I could actually let go and be who I was. One particular day I was in Riverbank, and it was the 18th of May 1987, and I had a Christian group called um, Broken Chain Ministries, which is Pastor Alan and Maureen Shepherd. And they brought this video in, and, and it was uh, about David Wilkinson across the the Switzerland. I remember clearly that it showed a picture in this video about life of a fellow named Nicky Cruz that had been um, through uh, drugs and gangs, and, and he was the worst and the worst in America. It? And uh, David Wilkinson had asked Nicky to take up a love offering. And so they go behind the uh, the curtain, and Nikki Cruz said to this other gang leader that um, he believed that David was thinking they were going to steal the money. And so they wanted to uh, mess the preacher around a bit and not take the money. And so when they stood up on stage and he handed over the offering to David, it was like all of a sudden the presence of God had fell on this man. And I didn't know it was the presence of God at that time, but something happened to this man where he fell to his knees and just started bawling his eyes out. And it just showed him after that time where he fell to his knees how all of a sudden his life started to change and um, it showed how he started becoming normal doing normal stuff and my whole life since a nine-year-old kid all I wanted was to be normal I hated who I was and every time I tried to hang around the geeks and the normal people doing the normal stuff I felt like a weed and you know, I didn't belong so I went back to where I felt comfortable but the problem is where I felt comfortable everyone was doing what I didn't want to do and I didn't know how to get out and I remember going back to my, pres- my, cell, my prison cell that night when I was 17 I got on my knees and I said to God and I'd never prayed a prayer in my life and I said to God, mate, if you're real, if you're real, if you can change that man's life, I know that you can change mine. And the same thing that happened to uh Nikki Cruz happened to me, God's presence fell in myself. And I know that, I know that, I know that I know that God is God. And give me a scripture back then, it says John eight thirty two, and it says, You know the truth, and the truth's gonna set you free. But I didn't understand about the Bible and in context, it wasn't until later on I actually understood. But God was saying, if you abide in me in my word, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. To abide is to live in a maki home. When I go to the prison, I stopped reading my Bible and stop um, having contact with that pastor, and I fell away. And um, that was nearly 25 years ago.
2: And that was the thing, when you came out of prison, um, you kind of just ended up going back to your old life, didn't you? Because you were just running away. You describe it as running away from yourself.
1: Yeah, and the problem is wherever I went, I went. You can take the prisoner out of prison. So you got to get the prison out of the prisoner. Yeah. Even though I wasn't in prison, I was still in prison. So
2: 1999, you were released from Bunbury Prison. Uh, you'd served a year of a three-year sentence. Um, but then you decided that you are going to make a living by selling drugs full-time. You were selling an average of $40,000 worth a day. So you were pretty big time.
1: Yeah, that's great. I was out for uh, just 12 um, months and um, I got really, really big, uh, really, really fast. And uh, it was really, really scary.
2: And the police came to visit one day?
1: Um, I was under heavy surveillance, but wherever I go, I'd always have people following me. And my house was bugged, my car was bugged. But they never let you know it's bugged. They just they just watch from a distance, but they let you know they're there to try and mess with your head. Hmm. And um, I got up one morning after doing 16 days no sleep. And um, I had got up one morning and had TRT, which is tactical response group, come through front and break with shotguns, bulletproof rest, so had a helicopter over the top and a whole heap of stuff, and that used to happen uh, really regularly. But on this particular day, there was a lot of them, and one of my mates had just pulled in. He got done with a, a, a loaded 22 and a whole heap of cash and an ounce of uh, what I call whipper or uh, mess, and I got done with a couple of handguns, pound of pot and a heap of other stuff.
2: Yeah, so was that a bit of a wake-up call to you?
1: Uh, not really, because that's pretty pretty normal for me. You I know, mean, I've been, through, like I said, I've been raided many, many times by the police yeah. over the course of my life. It was just pretty much standard. Wow. But the thing is, is like by that time I have been with my wife uh, now for 26 years. But back then we'd been married probably 10 years. And I had two kids. My older son Peter at the time was six. My younger son Ryan was three. I've never ever sat at the kitchen table had a meal with my son. I've never done sports with my son. I've never taken my family holidays. Mm-hmm. I've either in jail or out doing drugs.
0: You're listening to The Story. Today, Shelley Scohen is chatting with Peter Lyndon James about the amazing transformation that took place in his life, going from a hardened criminal to being elected to his local council. We'll hear more of his incredible life journey when we return. The Story. If this program has highlighted something you'd like prayer for, we'd love to pray for you. Call 1 800 Pray for Me. That's 1 800 772 936. It's a free call. Or text 0401 132 888. You're listening to The Story, and today Shelley Skowen is chatting with former hardened criminal turned ordained minister Peter Lyndon James. We're right in the middle of hearing his story, and at this point, it's not looking very good. After serving time in prison, he has already returned to a life of crime, but then something happened in his heart one day when he was asked to play soccer with his son. Here's more of Peter chatting with Shelley Scullin.
1: It was actually, it was just after I got raided by the police, actually. Um, my whole life, like I said um, previously, is that I, I didn't want to be me, but I didn't know how not to be me. I tried to hang in the geeks, the normal people, but I felt like as a dip weed I didn't belong. Um, My wife had enrolled my son in a a sport called grasshopper soccer. And the deal with the grasshopper soccer is that the dad has to stand there with the legs spread. And if the kid or the child kicks the ball through the dad's legs, the the dad rolls around on the ground and makes him feel all fluffy. Well, we lived across the road from a park in Bayswater. And um, my wife had enrolled my son in uh, soccer. And I'm standing over there and there's all these geeks. Um, which I'm a geek, so a geek to me represents someone that's normal. It's not a, a bad thing, it's a good thing. My whole life I wanted to be a geek, but I'm standing there with all these geeks, and I've got a big beard and covered in gold jewellery and diamond rings and all this other stuff, and I'm standing there with all these geeks, and their sons are kicking the ball through their legs, and their son falls down on the ground, and their dad goes, kitchi, kitchi, koo, make the kid feel all fluffy. And I'm thinking to myself, man, if my boy kicks that ball through my legs, I'm out of here. And I'm standing there, and they're doing this stuff, and then my son, he kicks the ball. And then he got it through my legs. And then I turned it in the back of my son, and I left him there. Wow. There's no way on God's green earth I was going to roll on the ground like a goose, like the rest of them do. But I just started bawling my eyes out. I would have given anything to make my son feel special. No, I just didn't know how. I was just I couldn't humble myself. And so I just bawled my eyes over. I went over to my wife, and I said, "Man, you got to go look after the boy. But that, that there was what I call the turning point for my life, not when I got raided by the coppers, but the day that I turned my back on my son.
2: Yeah.
1: And I, I would have given anything just to be a normal dad, to grow up in a normal home, but it didn't happen.
2: And then there you were being that very same father to your kid, literally turning your back on him.
1: Yeah. it's not My, my parents were, were bad parents. I really loved my mum. Yeah. I really loved my dad.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, but that, that was a turning point for me, that weird stuff. When they said to my wife, yeah. go look after the boy. So from that day forward, weird stuff started happening. And I started hearing these voices in my head. And it wasn't the speed or the mess. It wasn't psychosis, even though I was suffering a bit of psychosis. But I started these, hearing these voices in my head saying, Peter, I want you to follow me. I want you to follow me. And I was building my head in. I'd be driving around and hear this voice, Peter, I want you to follow me. And there's no one else in my car. My radio was off. And again, I heard this voice, Peter, I want you to follow me. And this car in front of me, it would tap its foot on its brakes. And it was like this voice and said, here, I want you to follow me. And so I started following the car in front of me that was tapping its foot on its brakes and it went left and it went right and it went left and then all of a sudden it pulls up about 10 minutes later and pulls up at a park. And then I pull up at the park and then I look and I heard this voice look over there and I looked over there and there was a dad and his um, wife and his kids and they're having a picnic in the park and they're kicking the ball with his son and they're just doing normal stuff. And really loudly I heard this voice that said, Peter, I'm offering you this. And I just started bawling my eyes out. And I wanted a family. I just wanted to kick the ball in the park. Mm. I wanted to do the normal stuff. And I sat in the car for like 10, 15 minutes just sobbing. And um, I sat there, cleaned all this crap out of me beard and stuff, and I started driving on again, and the same thing happened again. I mean, heard voice again. I said, Peter, I want you to follow me. I want you to follow me. And his car in front was tapping It's foot on the brakes, and I started following it. And I went left, It went right, It went left, and it pulled up next to his house. And this house was a pretty flash house. And, um... And again, I heard this voice as clear as day. I'm offering it this. And then I just bought my eyes out. It wasn't a flash house that, that I wanted. It was just a place to call home. When you've grown up in institutions and prisons from the age of nine, even as a child, I moved every three months from the next place to the next place. I've been to 16 different schools. I only my grade six. So I can't even read running right. I mean, my whole life, even with my wife, I've moved every three months running for myself. I've been from one state to the next state to the next state. Every state I go to, I start off with an eight ball, then I get to an ounce, and I run to the next place. I can see I'm going to end up in jail, so I run to the next place. Mm. And I just wanted to stay at one place. I just wanted to be normal. And, um, I go back to my wife after copying this, and for a whole day of all these different experiences, and I tell my wife, and she says, oh, you're on drugs, you're leaping out. But I know that, I know there's something freaking, um, was happening. So the next day I get on my bike, and I thought I'd go on my bike, I just bought a brand new VN 1500 Cruiser. And I get on my bike, cut my helmet on. Where I was living, I was living near, near a main highway. And what I did is I got this bike and I booted through the dirt uh, to lose the surveillance team that was following me. And I started off and I lost the, lost the coppers. And then I'm doing my thing, driving around. And then I started hearing the same voice that I heard in my car in my head with my helmet on.
2: I think God was trying to pursue you.
1: Yeah, but the funny thing is I didn't believe it was God. I didn't even didn't have an inkling it was God.
2: Until your bike broke down all of a sudden?
1: Yeah, I end up out near a place called Nearabut, which is uh, 40 minutes out uh, north of Perth um, in the coastal coastal area. And um, I'm riding on this bike, and um, and I'm driving along, and all of a sudden the bike starts to vibrate like a Harley. I had standard pipes on, this is a new bike, the handlebars started shaking. And I remember saying, Yeah, this is all right. Unless you know this thing just dies. So I get on the side of the road and I pull all the fairings off and, and the plastic tanks off and start trying to find the motor for the coppers to do what it did. Couldn't find anything, couldn't start the bike, had a full tank of juice, so I get on the other side of the road and I start hitching, because you know, I didn't have a phone. So I start hitching and this young couple stops. And in um, and them days I did look probably pretty scary because I I've covered in tattoos from head to toe and big beards down in my belly button and heaps of gold jewelry and all this other stuff. I'm getting in this car and in the back of the car, this young couple, and we drive along. And um, five minutes down the road, this young fellow turns around and he says, hey, mate, I feel i got to tell you something. And I said, oh, yeah, what's that? Your God's telling me to tell you that he loves you and that he has a plan and a purpose for your life. <laughs> and I literally I just bawled my eyes out and, just, and I just said, mate, get me out of your car. <laughs> and then he, and I asked him to pull over and I just ran in the bush and I just cried.
2: Wow. And a grown man like you crying, uh, and you'd spent a lot of time crying the last couple of days, Uh, God was making himself pretty obvious to you, but it didn't stop there. In case you hadn't gotten the message yet, you uh, hitchhiked into a a flat black F-250 tray back ute, Stopped.
1: I did indeed. I spent 20 minutes in the bush, cleaned myself up a bit, and then I um, cut my jacket off and I walked out in the highway and I put my thumb out again and then this other car pulls up and there was a bloke in a flat black F-250, as you said, and he's uh, black hair and he's ponytail tail at the back and he had... Tattoos all over his face. And he says, bro, is that your bike back there? I says, yeah. He goes, oh, we'll go back and pick it up. Eh? I says, no, i no, i just got to get home. I'm, I'm confused. I'm tired. i just got to get home. He goes, no worries. Jump in. I jump in. I get five minutes up the road, and this fellow turns around to me. Um, completely left field. He says, mate, I feel I've got to tell you something. And I says, what's that? And he says, God's telling me to tell you that he loves you and he has a plan and a purpose for your life. And I did, again, I just break down and bawled. Yeah. And um, he drove me to the petrol station. I got over his car and I was just a, just a littering mess.
2: And that's where you made one decision. You threw your jewellery off and you, you threw it in the bin.
1: I did, yeah. We, I used to have a competition with another drug dealer fellow that said he can collect the biggest diamond rings and the much gold. And and I went to the servo and I took all my rings off, took my chains off, threw them in the bin. I rang out, walked out and I rang my wife and I says, hey, woman, there's something weird's going down. You mean you've got to come pick me up? And she says, I can't, I've got to go pick the kids up from school. So I said, no worries. So I got back out in the highway again, I stuck my thumb out, and I started to walk. I got probably 50 metres uh, past the servo, uh, and an old granny pulls up. Well, I, don't, I don't mean that disrespectfully. But an old granny pulls up in, in a Datsun 200-meter Dutto. And I jumped in the past and said, the car, and this beautiful lady turns around me, she says, Love. I don't normally pick your targets up, but you look different. And then we got about 50 metres, 100 metres up the road, and we're driving along. And this elderly lady, she just turns around and was just so beautiful. She says, "Bob, I feel I like got to tell you something." And I said, "What's that?" And she said, "God's telling me to tell you that that He loves you and He has a plan and a purpose for your life." <laughs> and that lady drove me forty minutes home, and I, and I literally, I cried all the way.
2: Yeah.
1: Three people in the space of not even uh, fifteen k's, and then none of them knew each other.
2: That's incredible. That is so the hand of God. Like, Could he have been any more obvious? You know, just completely revealing himself to you and saying, you know, come to me, I will give you all these things that you've been seeking for so long.
1: Yeah.
2: Pretty incredible. So from there on in, uh, you decided to get your life together, really, with your wife. You, you went back and you decided to find a church. God told you which church to go to.
1: Yeah, I mean, actually, when um, I had the encounter with the lady, she said, I got home to my wife and the, when the elderly lady dropped me off. Um, I just said to my wife, I can't I can't come back here anymore. We've got to move out. I couldn't stay at the house. And so we dived around and we found a motel room to sleep in. And I, I went to sleep and I woke up 3 o'clock in the morning. And that same feeling that I had as a 7-year-old kid in a prison cell with God's presence washing me from the tips of my head to the soles of my feet was real. And I had a dream. And in my dream, I said, Peter, you're going to tell people how it changed your life. I want you to go to church. I woke my wife up and I told her how to dream. And in the morning, I've never been in church in all my life ever, except for in prison. And I went around the shops and I got all churchified and got all this churchy clothes on, got my missus churchified, my kids churchified. And I went from one church to the next church to the next church. And every church I went to pull in, I kept the it was not that church, not that church. At uh, 2 o'clock in the afternoon I pulled in a morley and there was a sign saying New Life Church and I heard it clear as day, I said, I want you to go to this church. And it was a 6 o'clock service, we had to go kill time for 4 hours. The second I walked into that church, they took my kids off me. I didn't realise that was what they call kids' church. <laughs> but they took my kids off me and the second I walked in the building I just started to shake. My legs started to shake, every part of me started to shake and the preacher was preaching on, how dare that uncircumcised Philistine defy the armies of the living God. Um, and from the second I walked in that church to the second I walked out of, it, I was just a blubbering mess. I when he gave the older call, I was the first one to run forward and give my heart to the Lord, mm. and my wife followed me, um, probably because she didn't want to be left in the seats. And um, and then I heard him clear a go again. He says, "Peter, give up everything you own and follow me." And so that was basically the start of my journey. Wow. At, at the time, I was on bail for, um, like I mentioned before, handguns and possessor intent to steal and supply and a whole lot of other stuff. And um, God said to give up everything you own and follow me I literally had to get rid of all my stolen goods Everything I bought was drug money I gave everything away um, I went to court and they gave me four months prison um, For the handguns I went back to prison, got out of prison And then when I was in prison God said go to Bible college I went to Bible college Studied three years of uh, full time study Started a business and, and all the other stuff
2: Yeah, and it's amazing how he has blessed you in that time So when was it that you became a Christian then?
1: Um, it was in uh, 2001. 2001,
2: 2000. right. That's just incredible. Yeah, I mean, you started this gardening and lawn mowing business and God just grew it really quickly. Um, within like three years, you were you were doing really, really well. You had your wife, you had your kids, the kids were going to Christian schools, you had your business, life looked great. It It was like you had received all of those things that God had told you, I'm offering you this, I'm offering you this.
1: Everything that God showed me over those uh, few days of um, being little over first, God gave me over and above more than I can even comprehend. Now, one of the things that God told me um, ever since I've become a Christian, he says, Peter, I want you to seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and I promise you that I'm going to give you everything you need. And as I've made God my number one, he makes me his number one. Mm. But everything that concerns me concerns him, and I've seen him do things not only in my life, or my wife's life, or my children's lives. It's mind-blowingly surreal. And as I seek first God's kingdom, and I see my children doing everything I do. My son, ever since he's nine, I walk past his room even today, he's 16, and he's on his knees every day, spending time with God, doing his debate before he leaves the house, and it's really exciting.
0: That was Shelley Scowan chatting with Peter Lyndon James, founder and CEO of Shalom House, a drug rehabilitation centre near Perth, Western Australia. But that's not how the story ends. There's a lot more to it, including how did he get to be the founder of a drug rehabilitation centre and go on to win a local hero award? I'm happy to say that we'll hear more of Peter's remarkable story next time until then I'm Jimmy Colfax encouraging you to share your story with someone today next time on The Story
1: I can't walk up the street now without people knowing me and I go into a coffee shop and I go up to pay my bill and the person before me has paid my bill and sometimes I break down in, in public crying and I'm humbled that somebody else that I don't know had paid for my food bill I mean, it's extremely humbling but nobody knows more than me that God hasn't done all of this because of the men. He's actually done it in spite of the men.
0: Peter Lynn and James was living as a hardened criminal until God's love eventually broke through and completely changed the direction of his life. He's gone on to become the founder of Shalom House, the strictest drug rehabilitation centre in all of Australia. We'll hear more of his remarkable story and the story of Shalom House next time.